This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The Smart Beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. 
One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Truckee, California at the Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe. I gotta love Lake Tahoe and the Ritz-Carlton. This place has been open for 10 years now in Truckee. It's a true luxury hotel and all season. Uh, you know, we're up here in the summer. And by the way, we're noticing here like a 95% occupancy in the summer. Normally we would think it would be in the winter because of ski season. Same thing's happening in Jackson Hole. Same thing's happening in parts of Colorado. In fact, at least in Jackson Hole and maybe even in Tahoe, more people are now visiting visiting in the summer than used to visit in the winter. You know what? If you plan it right, you're going to have a great time. My next guest, a 45-year resident of this location, who's now serving her second term as the mayor of South Lake Tahoe, Wendy David, Madam Mayor. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I mean, so you've seen all the changes. I have. I have. I moved to South Lake Tahoe very shortly after it incorporated as a city in 1965. So I was there during a big period of time. And you're what, three years old then? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay, just, I'm just double-checking, trying to do the math here. Yeah, very, very young. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, always the, the double-edged sword of a beautiful place like, like, like Ta- Lake Tahoe mm-hmm. is that it's beautiful and there's development and there's mm-hmm. You're, you're being pressured from all sides. Absolutely. And, you know, it, this is a lake we want to preserve. It's, uh, you know, it's the largest alpine lake in all of North America. And so development while environment. So there are things that we're protecting at the same time. Exactly. And, you know, when, when I talk to people here, they, they're very concerned about, obviously, maintaining the, the, the mm-hmm. quality of the lake, fire codes, mm-hmm. fire prevention, uh, the mountain itself, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But at the same time, you're developing recreational opportunities for people that they otherwise never would have had. We are, and it is well, probably one of the best places in the world to come and be able to enjoy any recreational opportunity that you have, depending on the season. Hiking trails. Hiking, hiking, biking, climbing, paddling, kayaking. Um, you know, I was saying to my husband this morning, how do I pick the best thing to, to talk about um, you know, that people like to do. And um, I thought my best thought was in the winter you go towards the mountain and in the summer you go towards the lake. <laughs> but, you know, what, what was surprising to me is that how many other lakes are there on the Lake Tahoe Basin? Like 200? Mm-hmm. 200. Yeah. So you can hike all you want and you're going to find a lake. Mm-hmm. Are you a paddle boarder? I'm a paddle boarder. Mm-hmm. Um, a very early morning calm lake <laughs> paddle boarder. <laughs> well, the key to paddle boarding is you always want to get up before the wind picks up. That's right. Always. That's right. How far out do you go? Oh, I'll go out. Or do you um, hug the shore? Tell me the truth. I don't. I hug the shore, but I'll go all the way around, you know, maybe a while and maybe to Emerald Bay, which is one of the most beautiful places on the lake. And what's been the biggest surprise for you? Or I'll, I'll, I'll turn it around. When people come and visit you, your friends, mm-hmm. what's the biggest surprise to them when they get here? Um, I think in the summer, one of their biggest surprises is how incredibly beautiful the lake is, the water itself, the um, just the clarity. It's 99.994% clear, which is about as clear as the water in your bottle that you're drinking. So. I mean, there's so many other lakes mm-hmm. that I know that are just completely overgrown with algae and mm-hmm. everything else. You don't have that problem here. But we, ha- we have some invasive, invasive yeah. species that we have to be careful about with our boaters, brought in by boaters that have been in some of those lakes. Um, but we work hard. We work hard to keep our lake clear. And yet, on a, on a given summer weekend, you can have 100,000 visitors here. Oh, easily, easily. And on the 4th of July, it was probably 150,000, you know. So, And that's just in our area. Basin-wide, it's many more. 
many, many more. And one of the developments here, which by the way is not just particular to Tahoe, mm -hmm. it's growing ever. You've got seven new breweries. What's we that? We do. How that? Oh my God. Millennials. <laughs> <laughs> The millennials are building them. The millennials are buying them. The millennials I, I are just, going to the... I blame everything on the millennials. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We have many new breweries, and um, people are loving them. Um, if you have gone out and done your great recreational activity, um, when you come back in, you're ready for that brew. And are you ready for that brew? I'm a wine drinker, but there's a, there's a wine spot, too. Okay, so basically you're a paddleboarder and a sipper. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Then there's the development issues, right? Yes. Housing, mm -hmm. hotels, high rises. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you guys have, you guys have a height restriction. We do, we do, and it, and it really limits um, it limits growth, um, and that's intentional. But it does keep um, us from being able to address some of our affordable housing, workforce housing, um, because of the density issue. If we could go up, we could provide more housing. Um, and, and yet, the minute you go up, the, you know, the trade-off there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The trade-off is the density, yeah, yeah. and the people. Um, yeah, it's it's a very it's a it's a fine line that we try to walk between development and um, protection with Lake Tahoe. I know, and everyone knows that this lake belongs to the world, and it belongs to all of us, and it's the most important thing we have to keep in mind. And you literally grew up on this lake, didn't you? I did. Very came for a vacation, like many people, and just stayed. <laughs> And the thing is this, here we are in the summer. Mm -hmm. People don't realize it's not just a ski destination. I mean, for me, I've said this earlier, I mean, more people are now going to Jackson Hole in the summer than in the winter. Mm -hmm. More people are now going to Colorado in the summer than the winter because you've got great seasons now. Mm -hmm. That is very, 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 very true. And um, all our seasons offer something, and they all offer something wonderful. So um, all year long now we're having visitors, which is great. Hello? Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Whether it's the winter or the summer, of course, you are obsessed with the lake. Uh, I can't get enough of it. You look out, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually reminded of the old days of Town & Country magazine and the photographer Slim Aarons when he took pictures of, of the luxurious lifestyle of Americans and their homes, but also Americans and their love affair with water. And, of course, a lot of his photographs also included Lake Tahoe. And what did you find in those photographs? The most classic wooden boats. Uh, that were just unbelievable. Um, the, the Garwoods and the Hackercrafts and all those boats. And, and I'm so honored to have with us today the curator and the di executive director of the Lake Tahoe Maritime Museum, a place that I can't wait to go hang out at, uh, Barbara Bogutsky and Laura Nadalski. I got, I did yes, a, I got it right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I love the idea, first of all, that you even have a museum because it celebrates a culture, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Our museum is uh, really celebrating the way of life of Tahoe. Um, Tahoe 
really visitors started coming here because of the lake, not because of the snow. Um, it was impossible to get here in the winter in the early days, but it was easier to get here in the summer. It still was a, quite a trek, um, but people came to the lake for boating and recreation. And they loved their boats, didn't they, Laura? Yes, yes. Uh, they, they loved, uh, right away, Tahoe became a resort destination, and resorts had their rowboats, their small um, uh, skiffs to take out, the steamers took them around the lake, and then- There he, were steamers there. There were steamers, yes. There were steamers that- Coal-fired? Uh, coal and wood-fired. Wow. <laughs> so they, the steamer Tahoe was the largest one. It would take you from Tahoe City down to South Lake, down over to Glenbrook, up to Incline Village, and make all the stops at all the resorts. And Barbara, as the curator here, I mean, do you have a steamer? We don't have a steamer. The closest thing we have is a launch that we pulled up from underwater, and she would have used, uh, she would have been steam or possibly naphtha. It was a sunken boat? Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing about the quality of the water of the lake is you can pull it up and, and you were able to preserve it. Yes, we didn't try to restore it, which uh, some people misinterpret what museums do necessarily restoration is the best thing for a boat with her we just preserved her so that she's a representation of what a boat that's been sunk for years would look like and how it would have been preserved and when we talk about the quality of the water here i'm reminded of stockholm in sweden and the wasa mm -hmm. uh, if you've never been you need to go to that museum because it is astounding they, they you know this is when the swedish navy had an armada i think in the 1500s and they launched the biggest ship ever built, the Wasa, mm -hmm. and it was fully complemented with the crew, the ammunition, the food, the supplies, the stores, and as it was launched, a gust of wind came up, the ship wasn't properly balanced, it, it capsized and sank, and stayed there till 1956. <laughs> and when they, they realized they had it, they went down, and the clarity of the water in Stockholm was still so pure, I mean, in terms of its, of its mineral content mm -hmm. and acidity, that they realized they could save it. Mm -hmm. But they also knew something else, that if they, if they raised it, it would oxidize and disintegrate. So this is a situation where they actually built the museum before they, they, they raised the ship, and they raised the ship into the museum, mm -hmm. right? You had to do some preparation for that, too. Well, this she came up a little bit before my time yeah. coming on board, but it was a project. They actually did a lot of research. They researched the... Um, the polyethylene that they were going to inject her with to preserve exactly her. Exactly, the same, mm -hmm. same issue, yeah. Yes. Now, you've got how many boats in the museum? We have 47 in our collection. Almost all of them wood? Uh, all but two. <laughs> <laughs> all but two are wood. Well, and, and do any of the boats still operate? Yes, we still run a ride boat on uh, Lake Tahoe every summer, and she's a 1934 Chris Craft. Love she it. was originally brought to Lake Tahoe. As gas engine? Gas engine. I knew it. Uh, and she was brought to Lake Tahoe to be the ride boat out of Meeks Bay Resort. And Meeks Bay, their ride boats were known as the fastest boats across the lake. Um, so they were going for record speed, kind of back and forth to take visitors out. And we have folks who come in today who then came up in the 40s, 50s, and their first experience ever on a wooden boat was on Stardust as a kid with a ticket. And they remember. And they remember it and they sometimes bring their ticket in um, to show us that they rode on Stardust was their first one boat ride. Memories on the lake. Mm -hmm. So you still do the rides. So we still do rides every week. 
uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. Are you doing any restoration work at all? We actually just did some restoration work on Stardust because we do use her and she's on the water. Boats that go into the museum and aren't on the water, then they start to dry out and they become less and less seaworthy. So a boat that we're going to use has to be in this constant state of repair and restoration. And how do you find new additions? Uh, to the museum, yeah, we have a lot of people approach us with their beloved boats that a, l <laughs> a lot of the time they can no longer care for, especially if they're um, the people that that did love her, that did own her, have passed away, and now it's the children, and they don't have the money, the time, and so they're always trying to find the best home for those boats, and so they come to us and we evaluate them on based on their Tahoe history is what we really look for. And every one of the boats in your collection has a story. Yes, yes. Well, that's what we love to share at the museum is is what were their racing stories. Tahoe was a big racing lake. Um, we had figures who were from Tahoe that then raced and you must nationally have some, and so internationally. You must have some archival film on this, too. Oh, yes, we do. That's the fun part, right? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of the, the older racing uh, film, uh, everything from the larger Chris Crafts and Garwoods, the 7,000-pounders, to the little, um, little outboard hydroplane racers. And the Garwoods are known for their oversized engines, too. Well, it depends. Um, sometimes... For racing, you might try to put in a larger engine that may or may not work. Then you end up with a boat that's going to porpoise or it's going to roll or, <laughs> I hate when that happens. or shoot to the moon. So it's kind of that uh, sense of finding what, what works best for your boat. And especially after World War II, when you had a lot of the uh, surplus engines, they would go on the boat. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. My next guest, I can now call him a friend, um, we spent the day yesterday hanging out. And most people who listen to the show know that I'm also a fireman in New York. I always want to have the fire chief on the show, and I'll tell you why. They've been in everybody's house. They've been in everybody's hotel. They've been in everybody's restaurant. They know where to go. They almost know where not to go. They know where to eat. They're the best tour guides ever. And so, of course, I had to wrangle Mike Schwartz, who's the fire chief of North, <laughs> no, North Tahoe, the Fire Protection District. Chief, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And we got quite a tour yesterday. How big is your district? So in length around Lake Tahoe, it's about 32 miles. So we like to say Emerald Bay to Crystal Bay. That includes our, our uh, services in Meeks Bay, which is an independent district, and Alpine Meadows. So you've got a lot of ground to cover, and so much of it we like to say is full of fuel. We're looking at all these trees. Yeah, you are. That really is the challenge up here is what you talked about. Keeping Tahoe blue goes right back to conservation efforts done by the fire districts. Uh, to keep the trees and forest healthy so that we don't have a catastrophic fire with the runoff and sediment that would really challenge and has challenged in the past. It is. And then, of course, there's the lake itself. I don't think until people can actually get up here and look out across that water that they get an idea of how big that lake really is. Yeah, it's, it's really alluring, and it is an amazing uh, jewel of the Sierras. And, you know, that obviously brings with it a lot of additional hazards for a fire district that provides all service, you know, EMS, rescue, and uh, fire services. And you told me when we were driving around in your truck yesterday that it would take you lights and sirens how long? 45 minutes from one end of my district to the other, and there's no way through the middle. <laughs> well, there is. It's just not going to go well. It's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And one of the things that we saw yesterday when we were there um, is, and I, and I should have known this, the United States Coast Guard has a base here. Right. It's a, because it's a bi-state lake. Um, it is a, it's a federal uh, waterway. Well, it is, indeed. And they do have a presence, and they have a, it's year-round, and uh, they do a great job of helping us, uh, you know, working with the locals in the state to keep the waterway safe. I mean, the best position you could ever get would be to be stationed here. I think so. I, that's where I'd be. 
I mean, we went out there with them yesterday and, and hung out. They, they got it made. They do. They're the nicest group of guys and ladies. They do a really good job. And, you know, I think what's important is that our federal partners here are so good at working with the locals. I don't think you see that everywhere. And you, of course, travel a lot more than I do. But I think that's one of the unique characteristics of this particular area is how well local, state, and federal government work together. Now, you're a New Yorker? Uh, well, by heritage. Yeah. Uh, I've actually, my family is originally from New York. Right. But you were, you started out to be a doctor. I did. I, you know, I came from a family full of medicine. Uh, my father was a chairman of pediatrics at Stanford, and I started out as pre-med and was going to be a paramedic, and I found myself into the love of working outdoors. So you did the EMT instead. EMT I did. Instead. I did. I did EMT paramedic school and then uh, found my way up to Tahoe as a firefighter where I've spent the most, almost an entire career. But you've been here since, what, 78? I moved here in 1978, and I've got to watch this place evolve from a you know, kind of a booming growth community into what it is today, which is a fantastic tourism destination and a wonderful place to live. How has it changed that concerns you? I think the change that, that comes with um, just more people having access to the, out, the, the outback areas is the challenges for the fire department in the recreation area and keeping people safe with fire. Uh, you know, I was looking at some statistics. We run a fire a day up in Tahoe between the multiple agencies, and a lot of those are just, you know, campfires left over or people honestly, you know, smoking in the, in the woods or just doing stuff they just wouldn't consider dangerous because they're not from here. Exactly. Now, in my fire department, you know, uh, one-third of our calls are, are medicals. I'm assuming you have the same. Yeah, it's higher. It's almost two-thirds here. Um, if you, cut, you know, kind of loop in those backcountry medical rescues, it's more closer to two-thirds of our calls are directly related to, you know, people getting hurt or sick while they're here. But some of those medical rescues, just because of the terrain here, it means you've got to extricate them. That's true, and so a lot of times these calls require... Somebody either, got hurt on the mountain. Yeah, yesterday. So as we were driving around on the radio, we heard uh, the Ranger go out, which is one of our four-wheel drive off-road vehicles, to go do a, a backcountry rescue. Oh, i got to follow up on a question. You asked me about drones. Yeah. So I, I got back to work after I, we spoke and drove around, and I asked the guys, hey, have we had a drone success deployment on a rescue? And they said, yeah, we just had one at Squaw Valley. They put up a drone to help find a, some injured hiker on a, on a trail. I mean... You know, Drones, when properly used, are the most amazing resource because they're your eyes and ears. I mean, you can actually see where the fire is going. Absolutely. So we put it up on every fire. We put it up on every rescue. Um, they're tethered drones. So electronically, they'll stay above the vehicle unless we send them off. And we have a two with a third coming with forward-looking infrared. It's really starting to become mainstream. And we have a fully licensed program. So now we're, we're becoming a public resource for the area because uh, I don't think there's anybody else that's licensed the way we are. But given the terrain you've got, you've got... Yeah. You've got mountain, you've got lake, you've got forest. I mean, you're challenged. It is. No, and that is really, if you think about being able to fly like a crow over the top of these things, I can oftentimes, you can get a drone overhead of a fire faster than you can get, uh, you know, a fire engine there. And the, our air attack, so to speak, comes from Grass Valley. It's a quick flight, but still that, you know, we'll pull the drone down, obviously, when the airplanes or helicopters come in. But um, they support our program, and, in fact, they help track it, and it's really been a great resource. And obviously one of the biggest challenges here is a forest fire. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that's, you know, if you're going to take hazards, which there's many, um, and put, hey, the one you've got to, I, of course, worry about every single day is um, I'm concerned about the forest every day of my life. I have to tell you, I, when I was the correspondent for Newsweek, there was a huge forest fire up near Monterey called the Marble Cone Fire. <clears throat> and, I was, and because I was a fireman, uh, they let me go in with the fire crews. Mm -hmm. And the other journalist didn't go, and I went in. You know what? I shouldn't have gone in because I wasn't properly trained for that kind of fire. And you know, they, you know what they yeah. gave me? They gave me a shovel. Yeah. They gave me a blanket. You know what the blanket's for. Yes. And, and, uh, and that's about all I had. And we got caught. Wow. We got caught 
with a, with a, with a back draft coming in, we had to dig a hole. Yeah. I'm digging a hole. This fire, people don't realize fires move at like three miles an hour. Yeah, you can't outrun them. You cannot do it. And I'm literally digging a hole. Yeah. And, and now the, here's the crazy part. You put the blanket over you and the fire comes over you. Now, the question is, when do you lift up the blanket? Exactly. <laughs> you don't know. You don't. Because if you lift the blanket up too soon, the air gets sucked out and you're done. So I didn't lift up the blanket until I heard other voices. Oh. Then I lifted up the blanket, and obviously I made it. went back, reported my story. But here's the funny part. Now I'm flying, and I was done with the story. I go to the Monterey Airport. I check in for the flight. I get on the plane, and everybody's looking at me like really strangely. I hadn't looked in the mirror. My entire face was black. Wow. You know, it was like a bad Al Jolson movie. It, it was... But I mean, that was when I realized whatever I was trained for as a firefighter was not that. Yeah. Right. That's an amazing story. I mean, you know, a few people have been through what you've been through as far as like that type of shelter deployment and yeah. uh, and have a burnover. I've been a couple of burnovers, but I was fortunate to be in my engine. The But I thought exactly what I worry about is, you know, the fast moving fire coming, you know, through Tahoe because of you know, a human caused event and trying to keep everybody safe but you know we've done a really good job i have a great staff we have great collaborators and you know we're we're pretty good at it okay most important question okay. to the fire chief where do you like to eat all right so my i hate to give away my super come hidden on gem. come okay. on <laughs> uh, zara's family restaurant is in incline village it's up in rayleigh shopping center nobody can find it and andrea <laughs> zara this is a second generation italian family and uh, you know, go to the bar and get the bar menu. Eat at the bar with the locals. And if you want to have one thing, get the calamari steak. It's unbelievable, man, out of this world. You're also a barbecue guy. Well, I am. And I, what I was hoping to have time with you to get lunch, and we were too busy because you and I are, were fired people. We got tied up in stories. But we, uh, Moe's Barbecue has been in Tahoe City for, I don't know, maybe five years now. And they do a Bama barbecue, um, being that they, they put some white sauce on their uh, pulled pork sandwich and so forth. Um, they just moved to a new location on the water. I think it's the fabulous place to be. Uh, on the lake, beautiful water, great food. I hope people enjoy it. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Uh, my next guest, in the interest of full disclosure, I've known for too many years. Um, and <laughs> I'm not for an introduction. That's yeah, great. Um, uh, we've known each other in the travel industry, in the hotel industry, for at least 20 years. Uh, and he now has the best job going. He's the actual general manager of the Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe. Just started uh, here. Of course, there's been Ritz-Carlton for many, many years. His name is Bruce Siegel. Welcome to your hotel, Bruce. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, and welcome to you. <laughs> I mean... This is quite a place. I mean, I, I was around when they built this place about 10 years ago. It opened, I think, in 2009. It did. At the worst possible time it could open. Tough time. Right? I mean, the first owners went bankrupt, and it was owned at one point by the B of A. It's, yeah. It's like the old Resolution Trust Fund during the days of the old scandals of the banking industry. And yet, it's come around. And, and now, you know, you guys are operating, what, at 95% occupancy? And But the cool thing about this hotel is, is obviously where you're located, but the land that you have to play with. Location.
location, location, location. You know, we're in the middle of North Star Mountain, which is probably the greatest family ski area going. Uh, our you, even, you, even, you even have a mountain I can do. Yeah, it's, it's the Bunny Hill. <laughs> yeah, we know. No, it's, it's the demented Bunny Hill. <laughs> well, you know, it's also popular about North Star is not just the family outing here, but the Burton's Academy, which really, quite frankly, you know, defines this area. Uh, snowboarding is so popular today coming out of the Olympics this past year, and the only uh, Burton Academy in the country is located here at North Star at the Ritz-Carlton. So when you think about the ski opportunities and the family sure. events here. So for people like me, that's a, it's an opportunity for orthopedic surgery. You understand that? You know, the hands, the butt, the whole thing. You're going to feel <laughs> all the pain uh, of a good ski experience, but it's right outside the door, and it's a true ski and ski out program. I mean, I'm looking at, I, I can see the lift right here. I mean, it, it, it just comes right in. 25 lifts, 100 runs, um, and 100% snowmaking, which quite frankly, when there is no snow, it's a very important thing to have snowmaking. And this past winter, we were relying on it. But once March hit, March uh, madness took place. And here we are. But of course, Tahoe in the summer. I mean, I, I look, I love Colorado in the summer. Jackson, there are more people now going to Jackson Hole in the summer than actually go during ski season. Different seasons, different activities, but still an incredible destination. Right outside our door at North Star is downhill biking, the lake, the lake club that we have. You, you could even fly from Sausalito directly to the lake club. Sausalito? Yeah, you can leave, take, out, take out of a plane, a uh, seaplane, fly right over the bridge, come land in Lake Tahoe, and pull up to the Ritz-Carlton Lake Club, and you're in, you're in Tahoe. Now that's, well, you know what? I think a seaplane is about the only thing that I can do that. I mean, the Lake Tahoe Airport's like landing in a salad bowl. It, it's it's a tight run, uh, but uh, <laughs> but seriously, Truckee, which by the way is T R K, I think is uh, is the three letter code there, uh, is an incredible uh, little airport. But it, again, it gives us access to the world. But the fact is that when you land, you're right. Either you land in Tahoe or you land in the lake. You're a few minutes from the property. Well, for most people, though, they're either you have a huge drive-in uh, market from California. But for me, it's, it, it's, you just fly to Reno. Reno is you're our... A, you're a 45-minute drive at the most, and you're right here. Reno is our, you know, our, our major you know, commercial airport. Uh, we're about a three, three-and-a-half-hour ride from the Bay Area. And uh, so many of our guests come from the Bay Area. But then again, the rest of the world is accessing us through Reno or through SFO as well, through San Francisco and taking the ride up, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous ride. It the is. Mountains. There's another little hidden gem here, which... 20 years ago would never have been the case with or without the Ritz-Carlton. And that is that, you know, Marriott's gotten into the fractional ownership game. Um, and, you know, in the old days, you know, a timeshare was operating in a, in a, in a failed apartment house uh, with bad management and people got stuck with it. And, you know, they were, they were stuck with it in perpetuity. Now you've got, you know, you can trade, you can, you can exchange weeks, and you're dealing with upscale locations and management that, that has a reputation to maintain. And you've got your Ritz-Carlton uh, Vacation Club here. Selfishly plugging the Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe. You only get one of those. I will, and I'll take advantage of it right now. Okay. The Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe has the uh, fractional ownership, which is known as the Ritz-Carlton Destination Club. We also have residences. There's 24 residences in, in the hotel. So in this hotel, you've got residences, fractional ownership, as well as a great hotel. So you've got all these elements working together. And the folks who are doing the, the, the fractional ownership, they get the use of the hotel too. Oh, sure. I mean, it's a shared service, and they get access to all the facilities. So you've got so many different choices, and that's what it comes down to in this environment. You've got great choices for, exp for your vacation experience, depending upon what you want and how you want to enjoy that opportunity. But the lift uh, can also get you downtown. Sure can. The North Star Village, which has got theaters, got skating, restaurants, shopping, uh, a great experience as well year-round. And you can take the gondola right from the top of the hotel right into the, uh, into the village. So easy to get around. This is a brave new world for you because this is 
right? You, you just got here. Well, a year now, believe yeah. it or not, and uh, even broke my arm this year uh, skiing. So Ski, I, as I, I said, orthopedic surgery. See? So, you know, <laughs> it's all part of the experience, but uh, made sure that I really fit in, if you will, from my lounge chair days of, uh, of the beach in, in Ritz-Carlton. You're a stronger, smarter person because of it. I, I'm much better. I feel like I belong. <laughs> the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is four dollars. Over the seas and all the grease to anywhere I please. Oh, I want to get away. When I first came to Tahoe, I am almost embarrassed to tell you, it's 45 years ago. Um, the food up here was deep fried, and uh, if that's if you could find any. There wasn't fast food, it was just not good food. And uh, thankfully, as my next guest will attest, times have changed. Uh, <laughs> she's the editor and publisher of Edible, I love the name of this magazine, Edible, as opposed to Inedible. Yes. Edible Reed Hotel Magazine, Amanda Burden, another name I've known for years in another, in another lifetime from New York. That's right, and I've been mistaken for her once because I grew up in Santa Barbara and she had a vacation home in Montecito where I grew up. So uh, one of her guests called my house when I was 17 years old and said, is Amanda Burden there? You know, I'm trying to find her vacation home. And I was this 17 year old thinking, you're not trying to find me. <laughs> I love it. I so, love yeah. it. Well, I, I've now got the Lake Tahoe Amanda Bird. Yes, yes, absolutely. So you heard my introduction. I mean, things really have changed. They have. They have changed quite a bit for the better. I moved most recently from San Francisco, very cosmopolitan city, all the greatest food and drink options you could imagine. So when I came here about 17 years ago. I mean, look, 17 years ago, you had some casinos. It was meat and potatoes. It was, it was. It was uh, you know, uh, roast beef and, yes. and you know. and dinner. And, oh my God! And, and yeah, right. Caesar, Caesar's at the table, which is great, and you can still find that here. Yeah. And buffet culture is king. Yeah. You know, and it was then especially, but now we have more smaller restaurants and bars that are just—they're on par with anything you would find in New York City, San Francisco. Really delicious, wonderful, uh, farm-to-fork food. Well, the demand has created that. Yes, absolutely. And there's more people moving to Reno and Lake Tahoe from Silicon Valley and the Bay Area and all over. So they are demanding that. Good Not food. as weekend places but as primary residences yes I, there's still a lot of people who live here as second they have the second homes here uh, but but absolutely yes they are moving here full-time it's the Tesla effect is what they're calling it here's a statistic that I didn't know about and that is Nevada has a lot of farms absolutely yeah you know it's, it's we're, interesting it, how many how close are we to Nevada what Four minutes? Well, yeah. like, yeah, de mm, depends on which way you travel. But yes, about 45 minutes from Reno. Uh, from Reno. Yes. 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 So very close. But the state line is very close to here. It is. It is. Absolutely. So, so absolutely. Yeah. When I moved here from California, I thought nothing grew here except for sagebrush. You know, I'm from California where everything grows. But I've learned that actually some of the largest growers in the nation of onions and potatoes are in northern Nevada. And garlic. And garlic as well. Garlic grows very well in, in northern Nevada. So take that Gilroy yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> right so you can actually source everything here not everything I mean coffee avocado no, you, but citrus it, but I mean there's some in. things but it gets in yes yes but we grow fruits and lettuce and all kinds of different things here so what's been the biggest explosion in, in and don't say I hate the words fine dining so that's not, <laughs> but what's been the biggest explosion is it bars I mean a lot of bars yeah you know Reno in particular and Lake Tahoe parts of Tahoe anyway are a 24-hour town you know the people come here 
here to game and drink and have a good time and vacation. So that is still definitely a big part of the culture here. Yeah. I mean, when I first came to Reno, it was still promoting itself as the biggest little city in the world. All the women were standing on the bridge above the Truckee River throwing their rings into the water after they got divorced, <laughs> right? right. I, I, remember, I, mean, I remember those yeah. photos. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and, the food, and the food sucked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mostly, yes, yes. There's a couple of, of great restaurants that have been around for a while, like Louis Basque Corner, wonderful. Yeah. Well, the Basque is another story, because if, yes. if you go up and down the state of Nevada, like in Winnemucca, of all places, yes, the un Martin. unbelievable Basque restaurants. Yes, the Martin, and then the Star in Elko is wonderful, and Louis Basque Corner in Reno is delicious. JT Basque in Carson Valley, yes, and you've got to get the pecan punch if you go. Really good, and very what's, potent. What, what's in that? It's Amaro, brandy, lemon, soda water, and grenadine. So I the think. words designated driver kick in? Oh, yes. Okay, just yes, double check. Absolutely, yes. But yeah, and to answer your question, bars are still king, and we have some really wonderful bars that have just opened recently, too, like Rum Sugar Lime and Death and Taxes. Really fun. Oh, I love the name of that bar. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, and all the, the bars up here in Lake Tahoe are wonderful as well. Even Manzanita here at the Ritz Carlton. At the Ritz Carlton, yeah. Yes, wonderful cocktail program. And the Hyatt has a great cocktail program too. And that is the place. For I love sunset. when somebody says to me, We have a cocktail program. <laughs> yes. Are you a member of the program? Yes. Will you be joining the program? It's that serious. What the hell is a program? Well, they just really give a lot of attention to the cocktails. Are they foraged? Are they local ingredients? You know, really kind of, it's, n it's not just a Jack and Coke. You know, yeah. this is fine tequila and fine rum and mezcals. And All right, so let's talk about, I I'm not going to say the words fine dining, but <laughs> let's go breakfast, lunch, and dinner with me, okay? Mm. Your favorites. Oh, my gosh. Well, I love Adele's in Carson City. It's been there for 40 years. They, they do breakfast, like just just a wonderful choices, omelets and everything you can imagine, waffles. And then for lunch, you know, I think I might take you to um, either uh, Centro in Reno, which is new and wonderful, or maybe even the Hyatt or uh, Manzanita, both really great choices. I had dinner at Manzanita last night. It was great. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's really good. Tracy Desjardins, very well-known chef, was the chef who opened that restaurant. Yep. Really, really great food there. Um, absolutely. And then, you know, I would take you to my, I hate to say favorite, but one of my favorite restaurants is in Reno. It's called Four Street Bistro. And Natalie Sellers, the chef there, they've been open about 19 years. She used to work under Alice Waters, and she also ran Star's Restaurant in San Francisco. Wow. She knows what she's doing. We're talking to Amanda Bird, the editor and publisher of Edible Reno Tahoe Magazine. <laughs> there are even farmer's markets, right? Oh, there's a lot of farmer's markets here. Yeah, there's about maybe 30 in our region. Great ones in Truckee, and then a bunch in Reno, and all over. That's the cool yeah, thing. It is, it is. Get the, yeah. get the chef here at the hotel to go with you to the farmer's <laughs> market and then come back and cook it here that's what you really want to do yeah and even here at the ritz i think they have a garden on on site here so i think the chef is foraging locally i love i only want to forage locally <laughs> as long as i join the cocktail program that's right i just want to make sure we get the concept right yes yes you've got it <laughs> amanda burton editor and publisher of edible reno tahoe magazine thank you so much for joining us should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. My next guest, author, historian, weather guy. <laughs> 
Mark McLaughlin, how are you? Welcome to Lake Tahoe, Peter. And the author, by the way, of The Donner Party, Weathering the Storm. That's right. Yeah, I know. That's the weather historian part. See, weather okay, story. Got you it, got, got it. it. I mean, that, that party didn't turn out too well. <laughs> no, they had their issues. <laughs> they had dinner, too. <laughs> <laughs> but what's amazing to me, and, and, you, and you've seen this, I mean, we, we, we talked about this so many times throughout the show, and you just heard me about, you know, talking about Keep Tahoe Blue and stuff like that. I mean, there is great organizational work out here to do just that. Yeah, we're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of effort trying to uh, not just sustain. Uh, the main issue is the clarity of the lake. It's really not like picking up trash and things. I mean, that's important, you know, the aesthetic value of it. But I think the fundamental environmental issues are uh, diminishing clarity in the lake. And uh, one of the bigger picture things is surface warming, which is something we really can't do too much about. But you just have to try to adjust in weather. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But of course, it's not just preserving preserving the lake itself is preserving the history. That's true, too. And that's really where you come in. I mean, there's some wild stories of the people who used to live here. Tahoe Sierra is a super magical place that way. You know, you figure we had our Native Americans. They were going from the Great Basin to the Pacific and vice versa. And then we had the first uh, immigrants coming out with the wagons. Of course, that's where we get the, the Donner Pass era on uh, the 1840s, the gold rush, Comstock, Transcontinental Railroad, aviation, Transcontinental Highways. Well, this the gold rush alone, you know, this whole area. I mean, well, they mostly were passing through here, right? But the, but but they, 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 that was the whole point, uh, right? That, yes. But that they hadn't passed through here, we wouldn't be talking today. That's right. And that's one of the great things about that Donner Party story. You're right. 36 out of 81 people died, and uh, some resorted to cannibalism. Um, but the idea is it becomes a microcosm. It's a window into the era of this, uh, you know, manifest destiny. This push west, this western expansion. Does the name Alfred E. Packer ring a bell? Oh, yeah. I've written, I've written about him. I have a, a, around Halloween every few years, I'll bring up my cannibal guys. I mean, Alfred E. Pack, was he the only American ever tried and convicted for cannibalism? He could very well be. I remember the judge said you ate like seven of the nine Republicans that were here in the county or something exactly. like that. It's pretty funny. And, and the funny thing is, if you go to the University of Colorado in Boulder, the student cafeteria yes. is called the Alfred E. Packer Memorial yes. Cafeteria. Yeah, exactly. You got to love that. Yeah. <laughs> but there was also the great story about the woman who swam across town. Across the lake. Oh, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories, Myrtle. Myrtle Huddleston. She was a um, single mom down there in Long Beach, California in the 1920s. She had her own uh, beauty parlor. And uh, she was approaching about 30 years of age. And I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe she was feeling a little out of shape, a little out of sorts. She was talking to her friends and about an activity that would be, you know, good to get into to get her physicality going a little bit more. And they suggested, you know, you ever think about swimming? And she's like, nah, I've splashed around, but never really did that. So she started to uh, just go out and go swimming in some pools and near the ocean and such down there in Long Beach. And uh, in about eight months later, Wrigley uh, um, family decided to host a prize. The, the Chewing Gum family? Yeah, the Chewing Gum Chicago uh, Stadium and all that to uh, first, you know, to anybody who could swim across the 22 miles or whatever it was across the Catalina Channel and open, uh, open sea things. So a bunch of people came for the money. Nobody made it the first attempt. Uh, they were all pulled out. Some, about half a dozen waited through the next month in February, and uh, Myrtle was one of them. And she eventually, despite being repeatedly attacked by Barracuda, uh, she eventually makes it. No, wait, wait, stop right now. <laughs> you don't have to be repeatedly attacked by Barracuda. You just yeah, have to be attacked by Barracuda <laughs> once. <laughs> I'm with you. Anyway, how she, fast would you have been in the boat? I would have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, she makes it and becomes the first woman to pull that off. 
And then it's just a few years later, it's 1931, we're in the Great Depression, and business is slow in Lake Tahoe like it is everywhere else. A uh, very famous hotel that burned down in the 1960s, the Tahoe Tavern, right outside of Tahoe City. They said, we're going to throw out there a cash award and a trophy for anybody who can come up and swim from the Nevada side of the lake across to our hotel. It had never been done. The lake has a long history of not recovering drowning victims because it's very cold and very deep. Uh, so so this, basically, if you go, you're done. Yeah, uh-huh. in, a, in a sense. Well, she comes up here in August of 1931. Now she's got her coach and everything. So she, wait, 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 how many people have actually... Do we? know how many people have died in the lake in as drowning victims yeah. i don't think we have any specific number scores yeah because when they go they go they go they it's go. a deep lake that's Bye. right well the other thing is because it's uh cold it's in the 30s at depth your body will never decompose and create the gases that float you back tell that to csi yeah <laughs> <laughs> it feeds a lot of crazy See, there's only there's, there's one thing i've always wanted to do and you're gonna laugh at me so get a little rowboat with a little small engine and go out to the middle of the lake and then bring a friend and wait till the moment where i can look at him and say I knew it was you, Fredo. Oh, okay. I was going to say you're whacking him like Frodo. <laughs> That's a Godfather too. And this Godfather, I knew it was yeah. you, Fredo. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's okay. funny. Yeah. Okay. So wait, anyway, so Myrtle yeah. goes down to the east shore of the lake, and she's eyeballing across. It looks like about ten miles straight shot to the hotel. She covers her sk- skin with grease. She jumps off. The, no barracuda. No barracuda. Yeah. Nothing to worry about there. Uh, jumps off of uh, a rocky output called uh, Dead Man's Point. Pretty auspicious start. Yeah. No kidding. So she's swimming across the lake everything looks good we have a prevailing southwesterly wind kicks up in the afternoon was that beneficial to her negative uh became a very windy day so she's blown completely off course and to the north end of the lake she's trying to go straight across at the most narrow part for herself and she's blown off course hours are going by she's getting hit with the waves she's trying to keep herself from being beached anyway hours go by by the way i try to keep myself from being beached (laughs) (laughs) summer uh sun goes down still windy the uh, sometime after midnight the uh two escort boats lose her so they're calling out myrtle myrtle it's 2 a.m and they'd hear nothing they said we're going to go back to the hotel and we're going to get her in the morning are you so, kidding me now i'm telling you they go back to the hotel the coach is like what's going on guys that was the only thing you had to do anyway they lose myrtle and yeah uh, one of one yeah right so at, at, at dawn about a dozen boats go flying out of tahoe city out of this hotel and you know they're going to fan out because nobody knows where she is and uh within a few miles within like a couple of miles one of the boats comes up to her, comes up and finds her she's just treading water she's like pull me out i can't do it i'm i'm hungry i'm cold i've got muscle spasms i'm not going to make it who's on that boat her 16 year old son everett he's like mom you can do it she's like well get out he's like i can hear them calling for you from the pier she's like well move the boat she starts to swim again are you serious yep she comes right up onto the beach they got the ambulance there with the gurney and everything she crawls up into the lobby she gets her uh 900 cash and the trophy it took her 22 hours and 55 minutes she lost 10 pounds of body weight and that was longer than it took to swim the catalina channel i love the fact that she crawled into the lobby yeah exactly <laughs> don't i don't need any help is is myrtle memorialized anyway no, here no no it's but, one of my i wrote about her why in, in my somebody very should first bring book. back the trophy somebody should bring it back you know it's funny how we have these great uh, iconic and these are great stories and that's one of the things i like about the history i focus you know if you can th- start throwing out numbers and data and facts people just drift away but if you can tell them stories people can embrace that you know yeah i'm, I'm telling you somebody should bring back somebody should bring back the trophy and you know what they have to call it the myrtle there <laughs> it's gotta be the myrtle i'm going for the myrtle this summer i'm going <laughs> 
<laughs> the golden myrtle. Now they swim the length of the lake. Yeah. Like three times. Yeah, but that's for sissies. I, We're yeah, talking I, the myrtle. I know, I know. We're I going know. big time for the myrtle. Got it. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk 500. Joining me now is the executive chef from the hotel, Mark Jeffers, who has the distinct role of uh, cooking up a storm here at restaurants like Manzanita, where I ate last night. Mark, you know, you're a Ritz-Carlton veteran. You, you were in Orlando, then you were in Half Moon Bay, in California, by the way. Um, what's different about cooking here in Tahoe? First of all, you're at elevation. Right, right. Right, so the souffles have a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a whole other beast. Uh, you know, the, the elevation, uh, you've got to conform all of your recipes, uh, particularly with baking, to make sure that uh, you get the design. Desired result. Okay, what are you doing different in the baking? And how did you learn that, by the way? Well, water boils at different t- temperatures um, up here. Uh, so uh, you've got, you know, normally it boils at 212, and it's a couple degrees off. So there's that distinction. Um, and then you get uh, breads that either proof too much or proof too little. You also have very arid climate up here. The, it's, it's, it's really dry air. It's beautiful, perfect weather. Um, but it, it plays with your baking. Luckily, I've got a, a it team plays of crack, with the baking. Yeah, with have crack experts in the bake shop that have sort of tinkered with all these recipes to get the desired result. But if you come up here on vacation, uh, I can't guarantee that your your cake that you do every time at uh, lower altitude will work out um, back uh, when you're up here. So okay, so when you're when you're baking bread here, mm-hmm. right? It, other than the temperature, mm-hmm. are the ingredients different? Uh, slightly. Um, sometimes you'll increase, uh, depending on what you're, you're looking for, you'll increase baking powder or baking soda. Um, you'll also change the temperature, um, lower the temperature, cook for a longer period of time, um, and just uh, play with those little elements to try and get the desired result. But for other aspects of cooking, like uh, smoking things, mm-hmm. right? Are you smoking any meats here? Are you smoking any salmon? Yeah, we actually uh, we do all of our uh, smoked salmon in house. We have a gravlax uh, too. Gravlax. Oh, too. now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Little dill mustard sauce. Of course. Thanks for bringing some today. Yeah. Oh, stop right. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. We also have a backyard barbecue, um, and we have a giant smoker. Interesting story about the smoker uh, that we have is we actually— It's it's Alabama, right? Custom-made from Memphis. um, But it's Alabama style. Yep, yep. And then we've actually got the smoker that came first, and they build the walls around the smoker. So if we ever want to get the smoker out of there, we've got to tear down the whole restaurant because that was the first consideration in making sure that we had the proper barbecue is getting a great pit. All right, so now does the altitude affect the smoking too? No, no, we, we don't see any issue with that. The, the, smoke, uh, the smoke and the temperature, it's pretty much standard guidelines. Uh, but you made yeah. a distinct choice to do the Alabama-Memphis-style barbecue. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And what is that? So we, we do, uh, for our Memphis, our ribs, we do a Memphis rub, which is actually a dry rub. Um, so it's a blend of spices and seasonings. We use about 12 different spices, uh, rub it down. So you got the kernel beat. Yeah, well, I, I think so. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. You'd have to come up here and check it out for yourself. <laughs> but uh, in my opinion, yeah, by far. And then um, you know, we offer several different sauces. So we make let, our let sauces Let me ask a question about, about the barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I fashion myself as a somewhat good barbecuer. Sure. When I do the ribs... Right? I'm talking about the pork ribs. Sure. I marinate them, mm-hmm. right? And I marinate them for two or three hours. Right. Then I don't just throw them on the grill. I bake them at 250 degrees, so it's low heat. It's not high, mm-hmm. hot. 
And I do that for like 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I throw them on the grill. So they don't overcook on the outside. Right. No, and I do the same thing at home. I don't have a smoker at home. Yeah. So if you're, if you're trying to get, you know, tender pull apart ribs at home, uh, that's exactly what I recommend. I, I marinate them for, you know, as long as you, as you desire, but then get them covered up in a pan. I use, I like to put a little moisture in the pan too. Um, so I'll put a little beer in the bottom of the pan. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> and then, uh, put them in the oven for an hour, um, or so, and then finish them on the grill is a great way to do it. Cause I, you know, I don't have a, you know, twenty thousand exactly. dollar smoker at home uh, to be able to replicate it. Well, here's you. Go to close. your smoker. Just do take out. Tell everybody you cooked it at home. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the secret to cooking. <laughs> What's your signature dish here? Um, so we, you know, we're three hours away from San Francisco. Um, a lot of our clientele uh, comes from the Bay Area. So you know. Our guests that come here know food, and they understand Northern California cuisine. So, you know, I think in Manzanita, um, our signature restaurant, we do a great job of really putting forth some really dishes that compete with some of the best restaurants in California, Northern California, San Francisco. So one of the things we do is a nettle cavatelli. So we take nettle puree, make a cavatelli, and then mix it with a Dungeness crab, uh, wild mushrooms, a little bit of confit fennel, and a lemon butter sauce. And that's one of our signature dishes, very Northern California. Oh, on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Boston, Charleston, Dayton, Louisiana, Washington, Houston, Kingston, Texas, County, Monterey, Faraday, Santa Fe, Tallapoosa, Glen Rock. We've been spending the entire show here talking about this incredible, beautiful environment that we're in. And my next guest knows a little bit about protecting that beautiful environment, not to mention researching it so you can learn lessons from it that may be applied elsewhere around the world as well. Her name, Heather Sigali. She's the Education and Outreach Director from the University of California, Davis, Tahoe Environmental Research Center. Say that five times fast. I can't. It's a nice long title, isn't it? It is, but, it, but it's a cool. And you've been out here for a long time. Yeah, half my life now, about 24 years. And like so many people here, you came up to ski and stayed. I never left. I couldn't leave. It was too beautiful. So what is, what's the work that you're doing at the center? So we have uh, two main missions, research, education, public outreach. Well, I guess that's three if you break it down. But it. the research is uh, about the lake, clarity, aquatic invasive species, climate change, the physics of the lake, all the things that can tell us about what's happening in the lake. We're trying to make Lake Tahoe the world's smartest lake. All the information that we gain here, we use at lakes elsewhere around the world. Well, you, you mentioned clarity, and, and people before you on the show have also mentioned the clarity, but give me the reasons why it's so clear. So it is so clear because of the um, limited number of sediment particles. The runoff and, and the runoff. And the runoff. And so because Lake Tahoe has such a small watershed, the area of land that influences the lake, um, it ends up remaining clear over the thousands of years since it was formed. It's naturally protected. It's naturally protected by the size of the watershed. Until we show up. Then we show up and we can wreck it pretty quickly with our development. So now we're trying to make up for the way that we did the development in uh, returning the natural system to uh, functioning the way that it should have. In a forested uh, area, the water would infiltrate into the forest floor. When you build a road, build a house, you're all stopping of a sudden, that flow. You stop that infiltration, and so now you have to make up for it. Where is that water going to go instead of running off and grabbing grabbing all the pollutants? So you've almost had to change the building codes. They've changed the building codes. They've and they're using science. So the uh, developing the development agencies are using the science that we give them to make the best decisions, science-informed decisions. So give me, in layman's terms, an, an example of how you were able to do that. 
Um, so the big thing is, uh, two, well, two big stories are way back when, 1950s, 60s, uh, they were able to, uh, the scientists were able to show the developing, the development agencies that the uh, treated sewage effluent, if that would continue to go into the lake, would cause the lake to turn, turn green in a matter of decades, uh, because that is high in nutrients and would cause the algae to grow. So the sewage, even though it's treated, the sewage effluent is pumped out of the Tahoe Basin and used in agricultural fields or or wetlands or injected into the soil outside of the basin so that never uh, gets into the lake. And the cool thing was they made that decision decades ago. Decades ago. Smart yeah. move. Yep, and then um, just that long-term uh, record of measuring clarity and seeing that it was changing was able to bring in federal funding, state funding to try to uh, do all these things like we said, mimic the natural systems. Bring Even though we have the development, it, it is a big experiment. Can we live here in this very sensitive, beautiful place and still protect it? And you say you want to make it a smart lake. You want to take the lessons you've learned here and apply them to other projects around the world. Yeah, and so we do that through robotics, through really interesting equipment. We have a nearshore sensor station. Uh, we are able to measure all kinds of things. We're looking at the physics of the lake, the um, composition, the chemistry of the lake, and use that information uh, to understand the lake as best as we can so that the decisions that are made are based on the best available you know, content and information. What's your biggest challenge? Uh, our biggest challenge, my biggest challenge, is educating the visitors. We have millions of visitors that come here each year. If you have a center. You can, and we, yep, so we have two small science centers. Uh, one is the UC Davis Tahoe Science Center. The other one is the UC Davis Tahoe City Field Station and Erickson Education Center. They're in Incline Village and Tahoe City. And we try to educate people about what are the stewardship actions that they need to take to protect this place. And for people visiting here, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at one of your brochures. It's called, you know, Explore Lake Tahoe in Depth. People forget how deep this lake is. Correct. So we like to take them under the water without getting wet. <laughs> <laughs> and we have 3D movies. We have some really cool hands-on exhibits. Uh, we have some um, touchscreen exhibits where they can explore the data and the information that's being collected in those sensor stations around the lake. We have some really interesting buoys out on the water that are a collaboration with NASA. I saw one of those buoys yesterday. Did you? At the Coast Guard station. Yeah. Yeah. So you out, went out on the water. So those buoys, the uh, NASA is using them. The satellites go over Lake Tahoe. So they're really mapping. And they're helping with uh, calibrating those Earth observation satellites. Now, how often is the center open? We are open Tuesday through Saturday in the afternoons. And the reason that we're only open to the public in the afternoons is because we do school field trips and um, student groups in the mornings. So for somebody visiting here, can they go on a field trip too? They can, yeah, they can organize field trips. We do small family field trips and uh, group field trips as well. Yeah, I love getting, if you're going to be here, get outside. Get outside, absolutely. Right? Such a beautiful place, yeah. We are bringing people inside to talk about the, the outside world, I guess. We go back 40 years ago when the scientists got smart and told everybody what to do with the sewage. What's the other smart decisions they've made? Um, restricting development and uh, requiring best management practices on properties are other smart decisions. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Plus.